We turn in the Bible to the end of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. In the English translation, there are four chapters. Hebrew, there's only three, but in the English, your chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. 4, 1 through 6. By the way, the last word in the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament is the word curse. Uh, ESV translates it decree of utter destruction. But the last word given in the Old Testament was the word curse, and then not another word for 400 years. So just to be, note, make note of that. All right, Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, the title of the message, The Day of the Lord. For behold, the day is coming. Day's coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and judgments or rules that I commanded him at Oreb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse, period. No amen, no hallelujah, just left with a resounding judgment word of curse. All right, the day of the Lord. For Malachi, let me set the context just a bit, but Malachi, the coming of the day of the Lord is future, obviously, for Malachi, but it has a twofold reality. And yes, for those that are theologically minded, I am making theological statements in this introduction. So this twofold reality, the coming of the Lord will be experienced first in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, in a manger, that'll be the first coming. The final coming of the day of the Lord will be when He comes in vindication or in domination, when He brings an end to the world as we know it. That's the only day of the Lord that we know, His birth and His return. Now, the constant question that people seem to ask when we bring up the phrase, the day of the Lord. 
is this. When will the day of the Lord come? Those that have any level of interest at least ask the question, when's that day going to be? Well, John Calvin, I think, worded it most wisely when he said, quote, Whenever then the day of the Lord is mentioned in the Scripture, let us know that God is not bound by any law, that He should hasten His work according to our hasty wishes. But the specific time is in his own power and at the disclosure of his own will. That day will come whenever he says it will come. In the book of Acts, if you don't like Calvin's quote, in the book of Acts, Paul says it this way, Acts 17, 31. He says, because God has fixed a day. It's a fixed day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. How is he going to do so? He's going to do so by a man. He's going to do so by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising that man from the dead. And then we also have a word from the apostle Peter, 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come. It's an absolute assurity that it will come. Well, how will it come? It'll come just like a thief in the night. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. The day of the Lord. Bethlehem and at the end of the age. It's fixed by the sovereignty of God. Let me give you a short thesis statement The sun, S-U-N, shining in full strength, hardens the clay and melts the snow. Hardens the clay and melts the snow. In like fashion, the day of the Lord has a double effect. It will bring some men into the eternal wrath of God and some unto the eternal favor of God of their Lord. The Lord's coming, the day of the Lord, cannot, is not, and will not be neutral. Know this in all the sippy-sappy nativity scenes around the land. It's not some emotional sappy thing. It was the most cataclysmic, earth-shaking reality to come on the globe in all of history. When Christ was born, it made national news even before there were electronics. Word spread like wildfire. A king has been born. You imagine the upheaval in the ranks of men of power to the degree that someone like Herod would be so scared that in a frantic panic, he would say, let us slaughter every child two years old and younger because I want no rival to my throne. Babies were being born everywhere, but now this baby is a threat. So we have a national slaughter that takes place in the world at the birth of Christ. Now, there's a reckoning here, a reckoning. Verses 1 through 3, you have this double effect. And so let us ponder the day of the Lord in the sense of 
his birth, and then ultimately, finally, climatically, in the end of history as we know it. Now, verses 1 through 3, we have this effect of the day of the Lord. Number one, we have the effect on the ones who are arrogant, prideful, shake their fists toward the God of heaven, who make laws in our land with no regard to God, who live as if there is no God, who live in the immoral, decaying society that we're in, and they frankly don't care about God, they don't care about the church, they don't care about the Bible, they don't care about the gospel, they flat don't care about these things. They're arrogant, they're prideful, they think they will live forever, and they think that the world revolves around them. They're out there. There's some even within the walls of the church who live in a state of arrogancy, thinking that their lives are much more important than they actually are. Now, what about these arrogant ones? What does the Bible say? Psalm 21.9 says, You will make them a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will Get the picture here. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You say, preacher, are you trying to scare somebody? I'm just telling you the reality of what God's Word says is going to happen to all the arrogant who refuse to repent, believe in Christ, and be baptized by immersion. They're going to be swallowed up in the wrath of God. They're going to be burned up in a fire. That's what the Bible teaches. In Nahum, the minor prophet Nahum, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, listen to the descriptions of the day of God. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand? Who who has the ability to stand before his indignation? Who's able to stand in the presence of a thrice holy God? Who, Who can endure the heat of his anger. His wrath is it's poured out like fire. Rocks are broken in pieces by him. You think about this. Think about the old Puritan, John Flavel. Think about, Flavel says something like this. It's not a direct quote, but it's somewhat close. He said that on the day that Christ was crucified on the cross, that the rocks were rent. Rocks were broken, right? But at the thundering of the gospel, there's people sitting in churches unmoved because their heart is harder than a rock. Who can stand in this God's presence? You can can buffer yourself in your arrogancy here, but what are you going to do when you're brought before the thrice holy God on judgment day? Who can endure? Malachi also, the book that we're looking at, if you just glance back to chapter 3, verse 2. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Think of it. Think of the most arrogant, prideful people in this world. The most arrogant, prideful people in this room got their nose up in the air, think the world revolves around them. Do you think that they will remain standing like there's somebody in the presence of God? 
Who can stand? Who can stand and endure that day? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, and he will be like a fuller's soap. And then, if you want a New Testament reference for these same thoughts, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, but by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Stored up for what? They're being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So many Christian people in our world saying, like, these wicked, godless people are doing these heinous, unimaginable things in our society, and they're getting away with it. You have not read your Bible rightly. Nobody is going to escape the justice of God on this day. Nobody's going to get a light sentence. Nobody's going to get pardoned and paroled here. All the ungodly are going to have to meet out the wrath of God for all of eternity. And whatever wrath that you might want to put upon somebody for a heinous crime, it pales in comparison to what God shall do when he pours forth his fury upon them. You say, what does God's wrath look like? I don't know. Look at the cross and look what happened to Christ when he absorbed it. That's what's going to happen to the ungodly. That's what's going to happen to people in this room that remain unconverted is the wrath of God is going to swallow you up. Remember uh, working on a farm in South Texas and uh, every year we'd harvest the corn at 4,000 acres that we worked there and we'd harvest all the corn and then after all of that was over there would come a time you have to burn the fields off. And so you wait till the wind's blowing a certain direction. Now, I don't know how other people did it. This is just redneck ingenuity. This is the way we did it. So what you do is you find you an old tire, and you pour some diesel on that tire, and you wrap a chain around the tire, and you hook it to a tractor. And so then you go over to the edge of the field, and you set the tire on fire. When it gets burning, you just drive the tractor across the end of the field. And as you go, everything kind of starts lighting on fire. When you get to the end, you got this big old deal of smoke, and it just takes the whole field and burns the whole thing off. And so then by the time you get to the end of the field, basically you just got a chain behind your tractor with some wire around it because the tires all burn up. And then you look out there later, and the whole field is black. Now, seriously, that's what we did. But by the way, there is one funny story that I have to insert there. Because one day, <laughs> Joe was caught by the fire marshal. He's a Mexican guy. And the fire marshal caught him and says, what are you doing? You can't be burning this. <laughs> and he said, no, I didn't burn this. He said, I'm just trying to get my tire out of the field. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it really happened. But anyhow, he burned off the whole field and it's all black. That's the description that is given here. For these arrogant, a day is coming that will set them ablaze, says the Lord. It's going to leave them, it's just going to be a burnt residue of blackness there. The day of the Lord is going to be even more effective than that because that just burn off the surface. This scripture goes deeper for the ungodly. When the final day of the Lord comes, it's not just a burning off of the shaft. We're going to take out the root 
and we're going to take out the limb, there's not going to be the ability to reproduce ungodliness. When the Lord purges the earth on the day of the Lord, that final day, all sin is going to be eradicated, and the church is going to inherit the entire earth, and there's only going to be righteousness, and we're going to rule and reign with King Jesus for all of eternity without sin. What a day. So for the arrogant, you have not much to look forward to. In actuality, you should be in fear and trembling as the day approaches. But there is another word in my text, is there not? A contrast. Malachi 4.2. But, but, it's not so for the saints. Those descriptions are not applicable to you. It's not so for you. But the day of the Lord's not like that. You're not stubble. You're, you're not the root or the branch that's going to get taken out. You're, you're not the one who's going to be swallowed up in wrath. That's, that's not for you. There's an alternate word, a different word for the believer. Could somebody here be happy this morning? God has a totally different word for the church. The son of righteousness is going to come and he's going to heal you of everything. You're going to be perfectly whole, fully healthy for all of eternity. You'll have joy coming out of your soul that will never run dry. Your well will never dry up. You'll be full forever. That's the word for you. Stay's coming. I don't mean to overquote, but let me quote Calvin just one more time. He says, it's old English, it's like King James or something, right? Hearken ye, that means listen up, dude. Hearken ye who fear God, for I have a different word for you, and that is, the Son of Righteousness shall arise, which will bring healing in his wings. I don't understand the phrase. Oh, surely you do. It means you're going to be healed of all disease, everything, a perfect, healthy being before him. Well, let me give you the Trinity and the Trinity's word. 2 Samuel chapter 23. If you ever want to learn about the Trinity, read the Old Testament. Right? I said that on purpose in case people were confused, didn't think the Spirit of God was in the Old Testament or something. Here's the Trinity, 2 Samuel 23, 1 through 5. These are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares this. The man who was raised on high declares, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel, quote, here comes the Trinity. Sweet psalmist of Israel says this, quote, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue, Quote, the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. Holy Spirit, God the Father, Christ the rock. All three persons in one verse in the Old Testament. He who rules over me righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises. <laughs> what kind of morning is it, David? It's a morning without clouds. 
The the tender grass is springing up out of the earth through sunshine right after the rain. Truly, is not my house so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant. He's ordered all things. He's secured them. All my salvation, every bit of my desire, will he not indeed make it grow? Everything my soul desires, the sun's going to rise and every bit of it's going to come to fruition. I can't wait for the sun to come up. This is the word for those who are saints. This is a different word. Everything your soul desires is going to be satisfied on that day. Or you don't like David? Let me give you the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 26. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. The light of the sun, get this, the light of the sun will be sevenfold. You magnify the sun, if you will, and make it seven times brighter. This is what the text says. This is what prophet Isaiah says. It'll be seven times brighter. In the day when the Lord binds up, are you ready? He says they, he's going to bind up the brokenness of all his people. He, you know, you, you're riding your horse with Matt Dillon. Okay, I watch too much gun smoke. You're riding your horse with Matt Dillon, you fall off and you break your leg. You're laying on the side of the road and you're waiting for somebody to help you. Festus is on his mule. You don't know what he's doing. You've got to go get Doc Adams, right? You've got to get some help. You want your brokenness to be set, your legs out of joint. You want somebody to set it and then you'll feel better. Today's coming, church. The day of the Lord's going to come and every brokenness you have, he's going to set it in place and you're going to be made right and whole. That's the day we're looking to. Bind up the brokenness of his people. He heals the wounds that have been inflicted by his blow. All wounds are healed. Are you getting any of this? You understand why I don't get upset about death? I think death is the greatest thing that can happen to me because then I will be whole. I get excited to think about the Lord coming because when he comes, everything that I desire is going to be realized. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You want a New Testament verse? Revelation 21, 23. You know it well. The city, the city whose builder and maker is God, that city has no need of the sun. It has no need of the moon. Why? Because the glory of our Lord illumines the whole city. There's no darkness anywhere in this city. Well, I don't know if you're getting it yet. Turn your Bibles. Let's go back to Isaiah. You've got to go to the Old Testament to find mercy and love and goodness. Right? Somebody told me one day, Old Testament, all it has is wrath. I'm like, apparently you haven't read your Bible. All right. Isaiah chapter 35. See if this sounds like good news. No, this is not on Facebook, and they didn't send you this text, and it ain't on the headlines of the newspaper. But it's in the Bible, so it's a whole lot more accurate. Isaiah 35. Say, man, I got up and all the news was bad. I got up and read this. I don't know what you were reading on your little device. I was reading this this morning, and this is what my device said. I plugged it in, the light came on, and this is what it said. 
Isaiah 35, 3. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and he'll save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will sing for joy. The, the, the waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. Burning sand becomes a pool. Thirsty ground becomes springs of water. The haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass becomes reeds and rushes. And a highway is there. And it will be called the way of holiness. The unclean, they ain't passing on this street. It will belong to those who walk in the way. Even if they are fools, they're not going to wander off this path. There's no lion there. There's no ravenous beasts that are going to come on it. They're not going to be found there. But only the redeemed shall walk on this road. Only the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. They'll come to Zion singing. You know what they're going to have? Everlasting joy will be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. And the church will be one with Christ and full of joy. You should have read that this morning. Instead of watching stupid TV. And look, what a great word. This is what's going to happen for those who fear the name of God. This, for those who fear my name, this, this is the day of the Lord for you. Now, if you're arrogant, self-righteous, you've got much to tremble and be sad about. But the church is looking for this day. It's for sure that the Lord's first coming was in Bethlehem, and it was, as they say, the day of His humiliation, being clothed in human flesh, for sure. And we are thankful for the incarnation, because without it, there would be no redemption but the second time, the day of the Lord, will be his vindication. Or as my wife so aptly said, it will be his domination in which all enemies will be placed under his feet. Note, his coming is never neutral and it cuts both ways. Right? It's an effect both ways. The Christian, as a result, think about Christianity here. The Christian is going to have complete victory over all enemies. Do you understand that? Do you understand that we actually win? Do you understand that the yin-yang symbol is a lie? Do you get that? You see the little circle, the little squiggly line, black and white coexisting? It's a lie. Victory belongs to the righteous, and all the darkness that represents the devil is squashed and trampled under our feet and has no reigning power. Christ reigns on his throne. You will tread down the enemy, for they shall be as ashes beneath your feet. It says in uh, Micah, Micah, it does not say that. Oh, yeah, it does. Malachi, Malachi, Micah. It says in Micah, there we go, chapter 5, verse 8. The remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, which when it goes through, 
It treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. It's the offspring of Jacob, the church. They're like lions in the forest devouring up all enemies. No, the Democratic Party's not going to win. No, the Republicans are not going to win. No, Russia's not going to win. No, China's not going to win. North Korea's not going to win. No, the immorality and all of the abominations of our society are not going to win. Christians have the victory and will go out like a lion in a forest and devour all of the wickedness of the earth because Christ is their king. Psalm 47.3, he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. You know, here's how how powerful God is. God would say something, I'll just pull this out, but God is like, think about Gideon. Gideon, here's your problem. Your army's too big. Now, there's a theological thought, is there not? Okay, I don't remember the numbers. Here's the enemy. They got 100,000 people and we got, you know, we got 1,000. Oh, well, here's the enemy. Your army's too big. Uh, I've done math, and I went to Chapel Hill over in Redneck School Anonymous, but I think 1,000 is less than 10,000. I don't know. You know, it's too big. You need to get smaller. If you get it down to 300, then you'll see something. Just look, the victory is with our God. Just be still and do nothing and let the Lord fight the battle for you. Matthew twenty two forty four says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put all enemies under your feet. Well, in a, word of, a world of deception, darkness, and a lack of discernment, the coming of the day of the Lord will bring immediate clarity between sheep and goats. But note this, at the moment the Lord comes, all current positions will be permanent. Right now, if you're positioned outside of Christ, if He comes, that's the permanent position. But if you're in Christ, that's the permanent position. All right, point number two and much short, uh, verse four. Now notice what Malachi says by the Spirit of God. Remember the law of my servant Moses. So he gives us the day of the Lord, the impending judgment, the coming of healing and victory, and he says to kind of put the balm of Gilead upon them, here's, here's where you can get your comfort. Remember the law. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes, the rules that I commanded him at Oreb for all of Israel. Malachi has just told the nation of Israel that what the Old Testament says in the law of Moses is sufficient for everything you need. We don't have a New Testament here. At this point, for the next 400 years, everything written from Genesis to Malachi is enough for you. Just remember the word. Just look at the Word, study the Word. That's all you need. It's sufficient for whatever your life needs. Now, let me give you a little bit of the law of Moses in Moses' own words. Deuteronomy 4, 23. Take care. Be very careful. Take great care here, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you. And and you go off and make like a carved image and, and, and get into idolatry, which God has forbidden you. Be very careful. Know this book. He also says, Deuteronomy 8, 11, take care. Be careful. Why? Lest you forget the Lord your God. You don't want to do that. and then Because then you'd go after other gods, you'd serve them and worship them. And I solemnly charge you today that if you do that, you will perish. And you remember this book, Deuteronomy 8, verse 19. And if you forget the Lord your God, you go after other gods and serve them and worship them, 
I will certainly cause you to perish. Now, is that not an interesting thought? God's Old Testament word was sufficient for his people for four centuries. You do understand that people in those 400 years got saved, right? Because there's only one gospel, right? And the gospel is certainly in the Old Testament. We've seen it over and over and over. And so people are being saved. People are being sustained. People are being comforted. People are being encouraged. People are going through difficult circumstances. They have families where kids die. They have families where teenagers run off and rebel. They go through all that. They're human beings just like us for 400 years. What did they do in the midst of all these upheavals and afflictions and all these difficulties? They just had to remember this book. And to keep coming back here to be comforted, to be guided, to be strengthened, to be saved, to have hope, to have a future. Let's see what Moses said. Let's see what the sweet psalmist of Israel said. I need a word from God today. Let's look in the book. They couldn't look at Google. They couldn't get on Facebook. They couldn't get on the TV. They said, my soul is hurting and I have these issues, but there's bomb in Gilead and I need to put some on my soul in order that I can be comforted by the God of heaven for 400 years that's what they did and it was enough for them now God's Old Testament and New Testament is sufficient for the church until he comes if the Old Testament is sufficient for 400 years then the whole book must be sufficient until we're in his presence So we take the same applications, would we not? Whatever happens between now and the day of the Lord, whatever happens to you, dear Christian, go to the book and remember what God said. Remember what he said. But church, you can't remember it if you don't know it. You can't know it unless you read it. You've got to spend time in this book. And that way, when life shakes you, you go here. And you look and you go, ah, that's helpful. You start thinking stuff like, I'm all alone. And you go, even though if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Ah, it's a good word. I'm not alone because he's with me. You start going here. You start saying, I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm downcast. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law does he meditate day and night. Oh, if I want joy, maybe I should meditate upon the law of God. And start taking these truths and applying them to my heart and preaching to myself the truth of God's word because it's sufficient. if, are you getting this? Look, here, I'll tell you what the world will tell you. You got anxiety, you got stress, then you probably got the alphabet, and that's your problem. Right? You got AADD, CDO, PQF, or something. And the way to cure that is, is get a pill. And you take this pill every day, it'll never cure you, but it'll keep you dumbed down long enough that you can survive through all the depression. Here's your pill. There's life in this book. Satisfaction here. There's joy here. There's comfort here. There's revelation here. There's God being revealed to you here. Everything that is going wrong with you is right in here and will help you remember the law of Moses. That's what Malachi says. Your pastor says, just remember the book. Keep coming back to it. Memorize, meditate, study, apply, and delight 
could do all of those, but it would take us a couple hours to go through all those texts. But memorize, meditate, study, apply, and delight. Remembering what? The Word is the heart and soul of the Christian life. Does anybody in this room believe that, that the Word is the heart and soul of the Christian life? Be careful before you answer, though. Do you believe this is the heart and soul of the Christian life? Then pray, tell me. No, no, don't tell me. Tell God why it is you spend more time with the TV and social media than you do with this book if this is the heart and soul of the Christian life. If this is the heart and soul of the Christian life, those other things can wait. But I'm not skipping time here because it's here that's the heart and soul for my life. Work those things out with God and explain why these other things are priority and you only get the word on Sunday and occasional time here or there. Explain that to God. And God said, I gave you what you need for your soul. Why are you complaining about your depression? Remembering the word is the substance and the satisfaction of the Christian life. Remembering the word is the true north of the Christian compass. It's true north. Last point, reconciliation five and six. I'm going to send you Elijah, that great and awesome, before that great and awesome day of the Lord, before it comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land, the curse. Well, newsflash, in case you haven't read the New Testament, the prophet Elijah has already come. You say, do you have proof for that? Well, actually I do, because Jesus says in Matthew 17, Matthew 17, verse 10, this is what our Lord says. The disciples ask him, why do these people say Elijah must come first? This is what Jesus says. Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. They didn't recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased, so the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Referencing John the Baptist. Elijah came represented as John the Baptist. The day of the Lord has come in the incarnation. And the final day of the Lord is right on the horizon. Not waiting for a sign. Not waiting for something to be rebuilt. I'm not waiting for some little snafu to happen. I'm not waiting for any uh, reading all of these different signs. The day of the Lord will come on whatever day he has fixed it to be. What kind of day shall it be? Well, it'll be a terrible day. Or another translation, it'll be an awesome day. Terrible day of the Lord, awesome day of the Lord. This word, this Hebrew word means to be fearful, to be in dread, to cause astonishment, or simply to be in awe of something. The, the Lord, think about this. I'm going to send this before the great and awesome. This day is going to be filled with fear, filled with dread, filled with rejoicing. It's going to be a day that's going to stop men's mouths, cause people's knees to bend, and everybody's going to bow before the King of Heaven on that day. What a day it's going to be. Think about the first coming, the day of the Lord and the birth there in Bethlehem, and we think about a few things, terrible or awesome. You remember, because of the Lord's first coming, 
the veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. You remember in 70 AD, the whole temple was torn down, not one stone left upon a top of another. The whole Judean system of sacrifice was obliterated and taken away and set in their place was the temple that was raised up in three days, Christ Jesus himself. Those who believe in Christ are restored made right, turning the hearts of fathers, the hearts of children, made right, relationships made right. Only Christ can bring such a reconciliation, such a turn of hearts can only be accrued by the Lord. The Apostle Peter says it this way. We already said this once, but let me say it one more time. Second Peter 3.10, the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. Heavens pass away with a roar, heavenly bodies burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. All of the things you do, all of the things we invest in, gone. Christ set in the center. Matthew 25 says these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous unto eternal life. Now, <clears throat> that's the end of the text there, left with a curse. Let me give you a record of things to close out. The intertestamental time between Malachi and Matthew, as I've said, about 400 years. Remember a word from the prophet, minor prophet Amos. And Amos said this in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. He said, there's these days coming, declares the Lord God. And he says, I'm going to send a famine on the land. For 400 years... There's a famine. What kind of famine? Well, it's not a famine of bread or a famine of water, thirst for water. For 400 years, there's going to be this famine of hearing the words of the Lord. For 400 years, there's not one prophet of God to speak. You think it made news when this guy in camel's hair stood up and started preaching repentance? The day of the Lord has come. Hey, I mean, John the Baptist shook the world. The prophet had come in, heard a prophet in 400 years. And now there's one out there in the wilderness. He didn't come to them. They came out to him. That's how desperately they wanted a word. It reminds you today, invest in this written word. All the prophets have come. All the apostles have come. The Bible has been recorded. It's been put into modern English that you can read it. Invest in this book. You know, I hate social media. I hate electronics with a passion. So hear me well. You try this with your little device you think is so good today. Ask Google what's going to happen specifically 400 years from today. Ask Google. In 700 years, exactly what do you think will happen? I don't know what Google will say. I never ask. But you ask Isaiah what's going to happen in 700 years, and he said, this is what's going to happen. You ask Malachi what's going to happen in about 400 years, he said, this is what's going to happen. The Bible is extremely, superlatively more accurate than Google. And you don't even have to charge it. It's accurate to the nth degree. The implications for us today is astounding. No more prophets, no more apostles. 
We, we come to one conclusion. We come to the same conclusion Malachi does. We come to the end of the book of Revelation, and we come to the same conclusion. Here's the greatest counsel we have for Christianity. Remember the law. Remember the statutes. Remember the testimonies. Remember the written word of God. I don't know what goes through people's minds in this church. Somebody tells me, I don't, I don't know, whatever. But what, why do you think we memorize Scripture every month? Why do we write a Scripture memory verse every, every year? Why, why do we keep saying memorize, 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 meditate, meditate, meditate? Because it's the best thing for your soul. I would be an abject, disqualified pastor if I did something else. What do you want me to set before you? Some fruity Christmas music and some goofy little tree and some little nativity scene? This is what we need. That's why we keep thundering out of this book and we keep saying memorize and remember and meditate and read. Look, you can do it. My mother's 82 years old. I called her the other morning. She read all of the book of Ezekiel, all the book of 2 Peter, and she read all the book of Hebrews. She's 82 years old. She goes, I don't know what I read, but it was good. Still good. When you're 82 and you're sitting in your house by yourself and nobody comes by and you don't think nobody cares about you, just read books out of the Bible. It's like salve upon your soul. Minister to yourself with the written Word of God. It's good. It's real good. Would you spend some time here? God, by the way, all these Goofy, stupid books and people getting words from God today. A bunch of ignoramuses that don't know how to spell theology. Listen to me. God, you want, you want it in Spanish? Basta. God has said enough. You, you think God left something we, that we need he didn't give it to us? This is a sufficient word. God has said enough. There's not one other thing I need. I don't have to spend my time with all this other stuff because everything I need, God gave it as a gift. We need no further word. I like nothing that's necessary for my soul. I like, no, I like nothing for living the Christian life here today in 2022. I don't lack a thing. And neither do you. It's all here. Well, the Lord promised that his day would come. His promise saw its fulfillment in his birth. The Lord of glory was clothed in human flesh. He was born of Mary in Bethlehem. He was born in a stable amongst the beasts of the earth. He was laid in a cold cradle there in Bethlehem. That baby was the Lord in the glory of his humiliation. The same Lord is coming for his final time in the future and will bring all things as we know them to an end. The wicked will be judged. And they will be found wanting. But the righteous will inherit eternal life, take possession of the entire earth, and rule and reign with King Jesus for all of eternity. Now, the lost people in this very room and in this world in which we live are going to suffer the full fury of God's wrath on that day. They will experience this day when they die or when the Lord comes, but they will experience it every day. A lost person lives is one day closer to the absolute, unmitigated justice of God. Oh, this Christmas, would you repent of your sins and look unto Jesus Christ and be saved? Would you look to Him? And, oh, Christian,
I pray and I pray daily for you. Stop listening to the world. Stop it. You're killing yourself. Your depressions, your anxieties, your nervousness, your hand-wringing over your 401k is fruitless. Let me help you. You're going to lose every penny you have in your 401k. Every bit of it is going to burn. Every bit of it you're going to lose. You're worried about inflation? Every bit of this world is contaminated in materialism. It's going to get worse. It's going to get even more difficult in the days to come. It's the way it is. Look, you don't have to be downcast. The last time I checked, he say this every day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I don't know about you people, but I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because my dad made this day. It's a good day. Everything about it's good because my father gave it to me. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Let us have a little bit of life and know that our God loves us so much. He gave us this day. We can fellowship together, sing together, have communion together, pray together, exalt Christ together. Oh, what a day. Glorious, glorious day. Oh, Emmanuel, come. Oh, what a day he's given us. Don't live under the world's philosophies. Live under the truth of this book. Brother Jeff Craig, oh, you come. Lead us in our closing.